Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Alice Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Venice Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Today our guest is Dr. Jamal Bryant, starting over again. This was recorded on February the 9th, 2021. Visionary, civil rights activist, community organizer, Dr. Jamal Harrison Bryant. Combine sound biblical teaching, business acumen, and political insight to propel the body of Christ to action and greater levels of faith. Since his youth, Dr. Bryant has prevailed against the odds rising from a GED to a PhD. Prior to pastoring, he served as the National Youth and College Director of the NAACP for six years, where he helped to mobilize over 70,000 youth worldwide in nonviolent campaigns. Dr. Bryant, a third-generation preacher, was the founding pastor of Empowerment Temple AME Church in Baltimore, Maryland, acclaimed as the fastest growing African Methodist Episcopal Church in the denomination's 200 year history. With an undeniable gift to bridge generations from the civil rights movement to the Black Lives Matter era, mm -hmm. Dr. Bryant incites change in the faith community. His ability to reach across social, economic, and political barriers has helped people to not only experience the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, but to activate success in their everyday lives. His ministry has become an incubator for entrepreneurs, homeowners, and the like. Additionally, programs under his guidance have aimed to spread the gospel, develop strong leaders, empower the economically disadvantaged and challenge dis social injustices. In December, 2018, Dr. Bryant was appointed the senior pastor of New Birth Missionary Baptist Church in Lithonia, Georgia. Wow. His leadership efforts have already begun to strengthen the multi-generational bond among members, expand community outreach, cultivate families and expand the church's culture significant. Come on, everybody. Let's welcome the Reverend Dr. Jamal Harrison Bryant to Timely Wisdom. Hello there, Dr. Jamal Bryant. How are um, you? Hello, Queens. It's a pleasure. This is uh, the closest I'm ever going to get to being on The View. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As long as y'all don't make me Van Jones, I can make it. Y'all just don't start crying like Van. We'll be good. Oh. <laughs> Thank you all for having me. That's, no, we, good. We are, That's good. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for um for saying yes. How, mm -hmm. how have you been? How are you doing in um, COVID streets? Uh, it has been an adjustment. I uh, have spent much of my life, uh, not just as a pastor, but really as an evangelist on the road. Uh, this is, uh, I'm missing everything but an ankle bracelet. I, I feel like I'm being sentenced <laughs> to being at home. I keep waiting on the, uh, 
<laughs> on the cops to come, but this is really been, as you said in the preamble to the discussion, just some real grounding time to uh, really reevaluate what is important, uh, what is of value, of uh, really purging out the unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And so this has stretched me a lot and uh, has grounded me a whole lot more. I, I would not have signed up for this. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it, it's a it's a blessing um, just to know who you are and and to see your life just evolve into different areas. Um, many many of our viewers may not necessarily know your background. Yes. Um, I'd like for you to just share with with our viewers what yeah. was it like growing up in the family of all these preachers around you. All these preachers. Yes, I am uh, a third generation AME preacher. Uh, the most recently and most notably, uh, Bishop John Bryant and Dr. Cecilia Bryant, mm -hmm. uh, a begotten son. And uh, it, I was the typical PK. Everything you heard about PKs, I was that. Uh, so from uh, sitting in the balcony, class clown, failed the 11th grade. Uh, I was uh, really the uh, late bloomer personified. I never saw on a roll till I got in college. Uh, so I uh, am the recipient of uh, many people's prayers. I uh, originally from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Cambridge, Massachusetts, grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I failed the 11th grade, and uh, after that, uh, my parents uh, took me to Liberia, West Africa, to serve as a missionary, and that was uh, my bro mitzvah uh, for me to come to myself and realize who I was. It, Africa really changed my life. Uh, I came back and got a GED and uh, was the first person at Morehouse College let in with a GED. And uh, graduated from there, uh, went on to Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. I uh, was National Youth and College Director of the NAACP for five years. Uh, then planted in Palmer Temple AME Church and was there, I can't even believe I can say this out loud, for 18 years. And uh, then uh, the Lord catapulted me. Uh, into an Abraham assignment. It took me to a place I did not know, to a people I did not know. Uh, and outside of a denomination, I have only known. And uh, I can say to you, and we can talk about it more in this dialogue, it's been the greatest decision of my life. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey. I'm absolutely uh, grateful for every mountain, every valley. A lot of people sing it, uh, but I've lived it. And uh, I'm appreciative for uh, the Odyssey. Um, Langston Hughes uh, wrote a book many years ago, said, uh, I wonder as I wander. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's that's really the personification of my life. Wow. You're um, you are you were reared around prayer warriors. Yes. Um, your grandmother was one of the greatest prayer warriors ever. Yes. And just you sitting under this type of tutelage and praying, um, how did you know that you were actually called to preach, to pray, 
and to live this life called preaching, I guess you would call it. I always knew that I was called to preach. I did mm. not feel I was called to pastor. Mm. Uh, my models uh, for ministry uh, were like Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend Al Sharpton. So I could believe I could be in ministry but not have a pulpit. Mm. So when I went to uh, the NAACP, my life's aspiration uh, was to be the president of the NAACP. Uh, being pastor was nowhere on my bucket list, mm. on my things to do list. I tell people uh, this story all the time and nobody believes it. I was actually called in the pastorate by uh, Dick Gregory. Uh, I uh, spoke at the uh, NAACP convention in summer of 1999 and uh, one of the most pivotal moments of my life. I came down off the stage after speaking and Dick Gregory was at the bottom of the stage. I'd never met him. Of course, I knew him from higher claim. And uh, he grabbed me by my suit collar, said, uh, young man, in the 60s, when black people were in trouble, they call on Jesus and the NAACP. He said, you are a part of a generation that doesn't call on either. He says, you are out of place. You need to go back into the church to show young people how you can be involved in civic engagement and have spiritual grounding. Now, what's amazing uh, for the viewers who don't know is uh, Dick Gregory didn't go to church. Uh, I can't say with confidence that Dick Gregory was saved. Uh, he may have been. I, I just don't have signs and wonders. Uh, so uh, for him to be able to say that uh, to me really uh, was a turning point in my life. Wow. Dr. Dr. Bryant, you, you talked about planning a church. You know, you said that you weren't called, but you um, didn't feel that you were called a pastor, but somehow you find yourself that you, you're planting this church. I know that we have folk um, listening, male and female, um, and they kind of feel like, you know, God's calling them to do something new, something different. Tell us a little bit about that that journey, how how you got there and, and what made it successful for you. Okay, so I'm... I. Uh... I'm in uh, AME witness protection, so I'm going to withhold names uh, to spare the living and the dead. <laughs> but I, I, uh, 1999, I was uh, thought was on my way to pastor church in uh, California, a uh, church named after my grandfather, Bryant Temple. And uh, I got out there to the AME meeting and uh, I didn't get the appointment. And... Uh, I went back home to the NAACP. They let me get my job back after giving me a going away party. And uh, another bishop called me in Florida, said he heard about what happened in California. He felt bad for me and told me to come down to Florida. And uh, I went to his AME planning meeting, preached. After I preached, I was supposed to get an appointment. I didn't get the appointment. Uh, so I went back to the NAACP after they gave me a second going away party. <laughs> and uh, I hit a place of depression because uh, I couldn't figure out I'd gone to Duke at that time. Uh, after all, my father's a bishop, grandfather was a bishop. It ain't no whole lot of people sitting on the bench waiting on no church. Something is wrong. So I'm reevaluating my whole everything. And uh, uh, the young lady who I was dating at the time, who I eventually married, 
uh, said to me, you need to start a church. And uh, I didn't take it with any weight because she was Roman Catholic. So she don't know nothing about no church plant. She ain't been to no evangelism conference. She couldn't even pronounce Azusa. So I, there's no, I wasn't even taking it with no weight, you know, because I couldn't see myself just out giving out pamphlets. There's, that wasn't what I saw. Uh, and she spoke into me and said, everywhere you preach, people come. If you start this church, it's going to go well. Uh, and so uh, God used somebody else's mouthpiece and that then uh, inspired it. Um, so I uh, started uh, that church east of 2000 and uh, almost 300 people joined my first Sunday. Uh, so I uh, have really uh, seen the unmerited favor of God uh, in ways uh, that I would have never dreamed or imagined. But what what were the steps, though? You you talk about, you know, the 300 people joined. Um, how did you get there? Okay. Where, where did you actually start? I mean, yes. because there are viewers here wanting to know, well, okay, well, how? I, I want to give two sets of instructions. Um, <laughs> really, I do. Uh, because what I did to start in 2000 is not what I would tell people to do in 21. Okay. Uh, the whole earth has changed. Yeah. Uh, just so that you all have a sense of what technology looks like. If you can imagine in 2000, when I started, there was no Instagram. There was no Twitter. Let me go a step further. When I started my church, there was no iPhone. Uh, we were still on flip phones in, tw in 2000. Uh, and so I started with uh, a group of 43 people who I grew up with, uh, people who I knew in a home Bible study in January. Uh, and we were in my living room and then it just began to grow, began to mushroom. At the time, what people discount is uh, I had been on the radio for four years every Sunday night doing a talk show. Uh, so I already had name recognition. Mm -hmm. um, I had $10,000. This is a true story. I had $10,000 in my savings account and uh, I spent $10,001 on advertising. Mm. So as a church plant, I bought bus billboards. I bought radio advertisements. So I did marketing as a mega church, as a plant. So the perception was that this was already major oh when God. it was nothing. So all over the city, on the sides of buses, you were seeing my picture for a church that did not exist. Um, Bishop Ingram taught me very uh, years ago, I was his youth pastor, and uh, Bishop Ingram taught me never let your PR outweigh your production. Uh, and so I made sure in uh, the whole rollout of my church that we never took the mind frame that we were not significant. Uh, I say to pastors all the time, um, you have to be mindful that Martin Luther King never pastored a church with more than 300 people. You got to remember that Dr. King, whether in Birmingham, Montgomery, or Atlanta, was never the biggest church in town. That's true. It was the most significant because of his voice. Somehow or another, we have been allured by this mega syndrome 
that we are caught in the sin of David, of counting how many we have uh, and not really weighing what do we mean to the community and what do we mean to people. Uh, and so when you're able to find what is your space, what is your raison d'etre and carve that out, uh, the reality is uh, m most of the big churches in whatever city, uh, those pastors don't have street credibility. Uh, th that pastor, that church, uh, doesn't mean nothing to millennials. Uh, the, according to George Barner, this is the largest demographic of black people who believe in God but don't go to church. Mm -hmm. uh, so they know scripture, they know how to pray, uh, but the church is not speaking to where it is that they are. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you've got to fine tune it. So fast forward uh, to my sons and daughters in ministry, I am saying to them uh, to plan a church now, you don't need a building, you need a MacBook. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, in the words of John Wesley, the world is your parish. <laughs> Uh, so I am preaching to more people in the pandemic than I have ever done in my ministry. Uh, and so uh, my dad's church in Baltimore, I think, held 1,200. Empowerment Temple held 2,500. New Birth holds 7,000. And Sunday morning, I preached to 40,000. Uh, so the technology has given us a different kind of stage that we have to know how to use it, how to maneuver it. So imagine us uh, having this moment of, uh, of us sharing together and not technology. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the five of us would be in a fellowship hall in a church or <laughs> in a ballroom at a hotel. Mm -hmm. And we'd have to have somebody flag people out of the lobby and say, can y'all come in oh. for a minute? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but technology has afforded us the opportunity uh, to meet people in different sectors and places. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Bryant, thank you um, for your wisdom around where we need to go with the millennials. Yes. Uh, because they, they have just disconnected from traditional church. Yeah. Um, Tired of it. Yeah, so so for for a lot of ministers like Christ, they have their moments in the Garden of Gethsemane, mm -hmm. and you've uh, come back stronger and uh, talk to us about your Garden of Gethsemane, your um, cross, your burial, and then your resurrection. Can you give us? some inspiration from from Gethsemane yes. to the cross, to the grave, yeah. to the resurrection. Well, uh, Dr. Wallace, uh, that, that is to presume I've had one cross. <laughs> in, in ministry, I feel you. There are yes. many crosses to yes. bear. You're I, right. Uh, You're right. Yeah, Paul said it, but I have lived it. I die daily. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the instrument that has catapulted my ministry uh, is the instrument that has crucified my character. Uh, and so I have uh, lived a public life, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, the way my grace is set up is God has not given me space for private failure. 
so it, it, my uh, success is the same size as my failures. So it's uh, the thorn that he has given to me um, to have to live it out loud. And even if I want to fix my mouth that this ain't fair, Mm. Uh, why I got to go through this, um, you know what I mean, uh, is that uh, my peers, as it were, in the oxygen that I live in, uh, came into public space pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so you look at Bishop Jakes is 62. Uh, you look at Noel Jones turned 71. Mm. Uh, Benny Hinn is 78. Uh, Joyce Myers is 69. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Murdoch is 73. And th- these are the stages I was preaching on at 30. Um, so uh, nobody knows Joyce Myers' first husband. Uh, n- nobody, uh, if we put on the screen, mm-hmm. you don't know what Noel Jones' wife looked like uh, because they predate the Internet. I, I came in with the internet. Uh, and so with that, uh, you have to take all that comes with it, uh, knowing that the internet doesn't come with the editorial board. Uh, there, there, <laughs> there are no fact checkers. Uh, you, you just write it and, and it is so. <laughs> so uh, and so uh, the cross uh, is uh, an instrument Uh, that is used that only impacts humanity. The cross never crucified his anointing. He had to become flesh in order to be crucified. So uh, whenever it is that I go through something, it never impacts my assignment. It never impacts my oil. It only impacts me. Uh, And I am mindful that uh, humility uh, is not one of my gifts of the spirit. That 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 is it. That don't come natural for me. So that had to be built in, uh, so that I, I I know that I'm Clark Kent and not Superman. Yeah, I mean that you. How Superman got to wear glasses? You know how Superman got to go have a job and he can jump a building in a single bound. That you got to have that level of grounding. Uh, and so I've gone through so many. A crucifix, but the uh, evidence of his favor uh, for me has not been my bank account. Um, it has been my survival. Uh, that the things that I have endured, uh, no man in all of Israel has had to <laughs> endure, but for the sake of the Father. Uh, and so I am humbled uh, just to uh, be at uh, the place that I am and still breathing. I'm humbled uh, for somebody who has made foolish mistakes that you would invite for wisdom. Uh, So I'm I'm just grateful. I'm enamored. I'm amazed um, by the grace of God that he's allowed me uh, to endure such things. Sunday, uh, I uh, preached about Hosea and Gomer and uh, said that God allows his feelings to be projected on people. Uh, that he said, Hosea, I want you to marry Goma. Hear this. Y'all ain't going to believe it. And Hosea, this ain't even a lesson for you. I need you to go through this just so the people can know how I feel. Uh, and so I, I think that every now and again, God allows me 
uh, to go through some stuff uh, for the vulnerability of the cross. Uh, because you are now millennials, different from any other generation in television history. Millennials see more unscripted television than scripted television. So I grew up on the Jeffersons, on Good Times, Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Gilligan's Island. Now, this generation came up on Love and Hip Hop, Housewives of Atlanta, Basketball Wives. There's no script. But what makes it a draw is the drama. In none of those reality shows is there any victory. I got to say that again. In none of those reality shows is there any victory. It is just the sustained drama. So God says, okay, here's somebody I've already allowed on the stage. I'm going to allow you to go through sustained drama, but still let you have victory. Because it's the only way that the gospel can go across. And so God has allowed me to traffic in spaces uh, that my typical background would not allow me to. Uh, So I am ministering to people who, quite frankly, I have nothing in common with. Uh, People are drawn to me uh, who uh, identify with me in a space that is not consistent with my background. Uh, And so I know it is for his glory. So as he said to Lazarus, as he said to Jamal, Oh, he ain't going to die from this. <laughs> this, is, this is only so I can get some glory out of it. Uh, and uh, you see that uh, Lazarus never moved till he got out the grave. Uh, and so sometimes uh, you got to go through something so that your movement is reflective of your experience. I don't know if y'all are muted or what is Bless that? Bless brother. They muted me because I was already shouting as you were talking. They wouldn't let me just moan and groan and just say hallelujah. You know, I'm just, oh, so but I couldn't. Okay. I can't hold my peace. That's that's okay. all right, brother. That's all right, Doc. Yes. That's all right. You uh, messing us up. Yeah, my, my, my students think that, you know, they shouldn't go there. They're um, in Christ and they are ministers and they shouldn't go through anything. And uh, I have to tell them that I believe for one fourth of your life is going is only going to be in resurrection. The other three thirds, three fourths, I'm sorry, will will be either in Gethsemane on the cross or in the grave. So yeah. it, it it's uh thank you so much. Thank you so much. You bless me. You really thank bless you. me. Yeah, that 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 this is um this is good, um, Dr. Bryant. Um it, it was 18 years. 18 years you started this church. Yeah. These uh people grew with you, they were there following you, and all of a sudden. You up and leave and go to new birth. Yeah. What what literally really made you say yes to this? Well, it, it wasn't all of a sudden. Um, right. I was depressed for two years. Yes, that's good. Um, before that happened. And I want to say a word to somebody um, that you can be depressed and successful. 
<laughs> you, you, you can be depressed while growing. Um, so I was depressed and I had the number one church in my annual conference. I was depressed and I was leading and giving budget in the sessions and conversions. And I was unfulfilled. And I was in a pool um, because in the AME construct, um, there was nowhere for me to go. I knew I wasn't called to be a bishop. Uh, but how do you say your season is up for something you started? And I didn't have a model for that. Um, my parents uh, retired in 16 and uh, moved to Baltimore and realized I was never home. Uh, so my mother put my father up to talking to me. Said, John, you got to say something. He ain't here pastoring these people. He, he on the road because uh, I had been so detached from it. Um, and uh, the ministry was on cruise control um, because uh, many of us uh, don't know the deciphering line between talent and anointing. I, and I, I had become comfortable in my talent where the anointing was no longer necessary. Uh, because I, I knew how to pull together a message. I, I knew how to do strategies to pull people. Um, John Elkhart wrote a book uh, called Wild at Heart, uh, that every man needs a battle to fight and every man needs a challenge to conquer and a, every man needs somebody to love. And I didn't have any of the three. And so being absent of all three uh, I was shooting myself in the foot with a cannon uh, because uh, I wasn't stabled. Uh, I wasn't grounded. My prayer life wasn't reflective. So God says, all right, I know what I need to do for you. I need to give you a different kind of challenge. So watch what God does because I call myself bored. I call myself peaked out. I feel like I didn't hit a wall. He takes me from a church that has $3 million in debt and shifts me to a church that has 30 million in debt. Says, you need a challenge, take this. <laughs> he takes me to a church that has three services on Sunday. I, and um, uh, takes me to a church that has one service and is not half full. Says, take that. It takes me to from a church that I started, got my name, my aroma, my DNA all over it, and then shifts me to a church where I have to stand in the shadow of a man who ain't even alive. Uh, so uh, when, when you ask for transition and ask for change, it is it, not always the way you think it's going to be. Um, but if you suffer with them, <laughs> it, it, you you reign at a whole whole different level. Um, you've got to make the psychological shift of uh, pushing your own vision to continuing someone else's. It's a different mind frame. Uh, you, you you got you got to go from uh, this is my idea. I'm making the announcement, and we go into it next Sunday. To now, for the first time in my ministry, having to get buy-in. What y'all think? 
<laughs> you think this will work? Is this a good idea? Does this match where it is that you all are? Um, so you got to make those kind of shifts and adjustments with seminary never teaches or equips you for, which has to be introduced is anthropology. You have to have a study of that culture, study of that environment. I say all the time, when I pastored in Baltimore, I pastored beneficiaries. When I moved to Atlanta, I pastored benefactors. There's two different kinds of people. Uh, and so the um, goals that I was giving New Birth was predicated on where I was and not where I presently was serving. And so I had to make a mind shift. It wasn't the church that needed to change. It was me as leader that had to think differently, that had to conceive differently, that dream at a whole different level. And so it required a part of me that either was dormant or had not yet lived. Mm, my, my God. So um, now that we're here, we're at new birth now and you're having to get by in and you're having to navigate through this new culture that you are, you've been placed in. What, what do you do now? What, what are your visions? What, what do you want to go? What, what's going on now? Yeah. N now I got to throw my goal away. I got to throw my vision away because what I had planned for the church didn't have COVID in mind. Uh, and, so, and so I'm having uh, to get to know my members electronically, uh, which is completely uh, different. It's uh, a different shift. Uh, see, uh, COVID is, uh, is, uh, is counter-faith. COVID is counter-faith. And I want, want let me unpack that for a minute, is that um, COVID comes with no signs. So you don't know when you have it. And the other part is you don't know when you've been healed from it. Um, so uh, you can get diagnosed and they tell you, you got the antibodies. What that mean? That means you had it, but never knew it. Um, so uh, it, it, it fights against what we know as faith, because we want evidence and COVID comes with no evidence. Uh, COVID is anti-apostolic um, because um, it, it forces you to cover your mouth. Uh, it uh, requires you not to be close to people. It bans you from touching and agreeing. So everything that we know in a neo-Pentecostal expression of who God is, is disrupted. And so now we got to do what the black church has never taught us. Mindfulness, meditation, <laughs> reflection, time alone that ain't punishment, journaling. You know, this ain't even who we are. It's shifting how it is that we preach because it ain't no turn to your neighbor. It ain't no, come on, y'all. Y'all can do better than that. Come on, y'all. <laughs> if you really love them, scream. If you want the miracle, holler. If you're going to be debt-free, run. Now, we can't do none of that. You know, we got to go to him 187, trust and obey. <laughs> that's, that's all we got. Uh, and so it, it, COVID has escorted drama away from the church. We don't have theater in the church. 
Now we have to have substance of things hoped for. So preachers who are lazy are going to be exposed. Preachers who are not prepared, the sheets are coming off of them. Those who are not in consecration are going to be hitting their head up against the wall because it's just you and that camera. So, you know, <laughs> how, how much oil you got without robes of faith? You know, what, what you doing without the cross on? Can, can, can you really open up that book and have 30 minutes of pure content? My God. Exit. You, you can't write on the side, elevate your voice here, modulate. <laughs> you can't be mad at the organist. It's just you. <laughs> so that draws you to a different place of grounding. Uh, I said to a preacher friend of mine, every sermon you done preached in COVID, you can't take on the road. You don't even know if it works. You, you don't even know where it's going to connect. You don't, you don't know where the people going to have by you. Uh, one of my favorite preachers, and you all would know him, uh, he and I were uh, away for uh, a rally for Breonna Taylor in Kentucky. This summer, he's an incredible preacher. I mean, mind-blowing, mesmerizing preacher is in demand everywhere. And uh, we preached, and uh, he was struggling. I mean, he was struggling bad. I mean, he was the mayor of Flunkersville. I had never seen him this bad. And uh, he came back, sat down, like, Jay, I don't know what happened. I, 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 I don't know what happened. And I said... Pastor, what you have to realize is for six months, people have not said amen. They have pressed hearts. So now you're expecting them to speak to you and they have not made the psychological adjustment. See, that there's going to be a shift in the discourse of black preaching. Of Can we make that adjustment of no call and response? So uh, preachers in greater number are depressed. Preachers in greater number feel empty uh, on Sunday, feel unfulfilled, uh, absent of affirmation. Uh, and so it, it, one of my senior members uh, sent me an email last week and said, Pastor, what Sunday we going back? I said, oh, sis, I don't think we going back till Labor Day. She said, uh, when we go back that first Sunday, you ain't got to preach. I got in my feelings. I said, who, who you want to preach? She said, no, we don't want no preaching. We just want to come hug each other. I said, oh, we ain't doing that. But my, my point is, is that there are going to be so many different layers of trauma that are going to have to be addressed. Uh, so many issues of brokenness, of fragmented uh, worship, of time alone, and what that means now that I've been integrated in the gym pop. Uh, so all of that, uh, we're going to be ringmasters in a three-ring circus of those who uh, have become introverts in COVID. We're going to have to deal with the scars of people. Imagine y'all in a church of 70 people, 50 people. You all don't know what it's going to be like in that room when the first person coughs. Sir, when when the first person sneezes. Stuff we used to do in the black church, a little kid, Nose is running and we all pick them up. Who got a little napkin for Booski? Now, y'all keep that kid away from me. Yeah, yeah We got to figure out in coming back, will there be cradle roll? Will there be Sunday school? Yeah, we got, got to go a step further. Two weeks before COVID came, 
uh, New Birth was opening up Sunday school for kids with autism. A special class just for them. We were putting in the place a special communion service on Thursday after first Sunday for full-time caregivers. Now, all of that, we're going to have to recalibrate to figure out what do we do because there's now more caregivers than that little classroom we were thinking about. There are more special needs kids, and I want to go here, who ain't had medication for months because they was getting it from the school nurse. So all of these things, you know, we're not equipped for YPD. Um, when them kids start talking on that youth retreat, that youth convo uh, about being molested and stuck at home with the molester who ain't go to work. We ain't prepared uh, for that wife coming back out who before domestic violence was once a month, it's once a quarter, but now Jimbo was home waiting on a stimulus check. It, 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 there's no such thing as uh, being a uh, functioning alcoholic when the bar stool is in the living room. So all of the things that we know about ministry, uh, Claude McKay wrote a poem in the Harlem Renaissance, we wear the mask, the mask is off. Uh, and so we're gonna have to do real gut-wrenching ministry uh, that speaks to the whole heart and timber of where people are. Ooh. Hey. Oh, I mean, it's just it's just so much. And Absolutely. But you you think about that. I mean, this is so very valid. They're at home in place. You're yes. with the abuser. You're at home in place with with the rapist. You're at home in place with the, the person who who verbally abuses you and treats right. you any kind of way. And it's it's different. But we as a, a people of culture, our culture has been to run to the church to get that Band-Aid, to right. get the fix that the church is where it's going to make a difference. And now we've got to face this. What yeah. do we do? What do we say? I get it. Yeah, I think uh, this is the time where we start looking for Aaron and her. Ah. That's good. Who's going to lift up the hands? The model of singular leadership is gone. Uh, is that you're going to have to find somebody who can help you with mental health. You can't bring all them people in your office. You're going to be drained. You're going to find some millennial, some kid who ain't even paying attention. You're going to have to draft them that they are now director of social media. <laughs> you, you making up positions. You're going to have to have who is over lighting? Because I don't know how to work this ring light. I don't know what angle I'm supposed to be. Somebody got to tell me, put this on landscape. Uh, you know, all, all of this stuff uh, has to happen. And so a new emergence of leadership is going to come out of our churches that doesn't fit the bill of our old regime. Because uh, right now, I don't need nobody to hold the offering plate and y'all giving on GiveLify. So I got to find you something else to do. Yeah. yeah, so you got to now do ministry gifts assessments for people who ain't in board of examiners. Oh, oh, oh. see, so you just you touching on it now. Yeah, <laughs> you touching yeah, it, on it, it now. It, 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 it <laughs> is uh, um, uh, the priesthood of all believers uh, that anybody who has a testimony has a ministry. Hmm. Uh, what, what, what do we do to really equip the saints? My former pastor. Uh, Bishop Frank Reed 
said that our responsibility is to shift from an audience to an army. Mm. Uh, so how do we equip the saints? Uh, mm. I uh, had one of the hardest conversations uh, with one of the pillars of my church. Their son-in-law passed a COVID and uh, I called them give encouragement. And she said something, nothing in my CPE book equipped me for. Oh. <laughs> she, she said, we don't know what to do for our daughter who's lost her husband because of COVID, we can't go over there. And because of our age, we don't want her to come here. What do we do for our daughter? And I, I, I was lost. I was lost. So uh, our, all of our approaches have got to be re-exist, have to, have to be reassessed and re-examined. We have two questions from um, our live here. It says, do you find the elderly dwindling? And it says, church for many of them is their lifeline of connection. Yeah. I uh, said to my members uh, in our church vision meeting, 100,000, I need you all to please write this down. Somebody put it in the chat. Uh, you're going to be the smartest person at y'all's next quarterly conference. 100,000 people turn 65 every day in America. 100,000 people turn 65 every day in America. And every black church that I've gone to has a youth pastor, but doesn't have a seniors pastor. This is the very first time in American history where we have more seniors than we have youth. So to uh, that question, I don't feel like our seniors are dwindling. They are not being addressed. They're not being addressed because when we think of seniors, we think of somebody who need help getting down the steps. We think of somebody convalescing at home. We think of somebody who on bed rest. And we don't know is 72 year olds doing the electric slide. You better know it. Is <laughs> Listen, I, I got to say this to you all uh, for grownups, the fastest, fastest carriers of STDs is now in nursing homes not on college dormitories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But ain't nobody teaching that at the church to the seniors. That's true. Yeah, this, this their first time being single for 40 years. They don't even know the game no more. <laughs> they, they, they don't even know what has happened. Yeah, so when, when you you looking at uh, that data of statistics, how we do seniors ministry has got to be different. You know, it ain't just the crochet class, you know, they now got dating apps just for seniors. They got whole carnival cruise for single, single seniors going to Cancun. And so the church has got to readdress how it is that we do ministry. There's another question here talking about communion. How, how do you do communion? What, what, what do you do? Uh, Saturday, we had 2,500 people come pick up receptacles, uh, and then they do it at home. Uh, obviously, uh, more than that watched. And so we tell them, remember, it's a symbol. So go get you, cut you a slice of that pancake. Go get that biscuit. You ain't got Welch's grape. Go get Coca-Cola. Go, go, go get Starbucks. It is a symbol. See, a lot of things that we have taken 
uh, as tradition, we've misinterpreted as scripture. Come on, sir. And, and it is not so. The biggest boundary that I have uh, in liturgy in COVID, I don't have it and I've scoured the earth looking for it, is do y'all realize it's going on a year and we ain't baptized nobody? Ain't been no baptism. I'm, I want to know what the apostolics are doing if they think that's the only way you can get saved and you can't baptize nobody. Now what we doing? You can't get in that water. Uh, and so we we got to uh, really figure out uh, how it is that we move. That's how we do communion. I don't yet have the answer for baptism. Wow. This is, this is powerful. Rich. Can you sprinkle yourself? Well, I, listen, uh, we need to find out from the Vatican. Y'all ask the Council of Bishops. I don't know. We've given uh, all of our members vials of oil uh, because on Ash Wednesday, we're going to do a virtual anointing service uh, to start our Lenten process. Uh, and that's my first time doing that. Uh, so uh, maybe sprinkling yourself may be next. I don't know. But on record, I don't want to answer that question. Amen. There's a question here. Um, when you were in the first district, you talked about diminishing divide between clergy and lay. And you really just spoke about it, um, expanding our reach yes. rather than being hierarchical. Mm-hmm. We're reaching out um, across the um, congregation to find those who are gifted in different areas and using them to their best ability. Yes. Speak to us about that divide. Um, between clergy and lay, or diminishing the divide between clergy and lay. Yeah, I, I, I think again that COVID has done it mm-hmm. um, because uh, now not even the clergy can get on the COVID ward. <laughs> you, you know, they don't need, the State Department don't even give us clergy parking passes no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that's gone, uh, and so I think it's about equipping the believers uh, to be able to go in that power uh, that. Uh, we've got to get past wanting to be the smartest ones in the room. Uh, the, Matt King Carter, uh, former uh, pastor in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, said his first day at uh, Florida State University, uh, the professor said to the class, half of y'all are going to fail this class. Dr. Carter said half the class walked out and dropped it. Dr. Carter said he went to the dean at Florida State and said, this is not an indictment on the students. It's an indictment on the professor. If half the class is going to fail, it means he's not a good teacher. Which says to us as pastors, if not even half our ministry gets the word in them, is proficient, proficient in explaining scripture, it ain't them. We are the ones that failed. And so we've got to be uh, better and more dutiful of preparing the body. Uh, okay. I, I did see someone um, comment on on baptism. Was it Bishop Vaughn? Yes, it was Bishop Corletta Vaughn. She said that they are doing baptisms. Tell Bishop Vaughn she knows she ain't supposed to be in that water. <laughs> <laughs> she in Michigan. That's one of my foster godmothers. Dr. Vaughn, you are too close to Flint, Michigan to be in some baptismal water. Don't have me call you, Dr. Vaughn. 
You're wrong for that. Yeah, she speaks um high, she definitely speaks highly of you, um, Dr. Brown. I, I met uh, Dr. Coletta Vaughn. I was twelve years old. Yeah, she said at me in Baltimore. She has uh, been an abiding uh prayer fixture in my life. I'm grateful for. But I don't want you in that water. Let them associate pastors get in there, Dr. Vaughn, please. Thank you. Let the associates in. Um, uh, Pastor Brian, uh, one of our guests have actually asked um, if you would close us out with prayer. We don't normally do that with our guests on the air, but they they very specifically have asked yes. if you if you would uh, close us out. And we're at our last few moments, mm -hmm. and so if you don't mind doing that, um, however you might be led to pray, I, I would be delighted to do so. Let me uh, first. Thank you all for allowing me the opportunity to think out loud. I'm appreciative that you would yield to me uh, your platform. Uh, and I'm grateful that you all have uh, become integrationists and let a man in the room. Thank you. I'd have made it in the ladies room. I always wondered what it looked like in here. You know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to be in. Thank you so much. Wait, before much. you pray, um, yes. Elise, Quinny. All of them are on the line saying that they're proud of you. Oh, listen, all of them are my favorite aunts. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Most merciful master, we thank you that there is no disease you have not healed. Whatever disease is evident in this room, I pray that you heal it known and unknown. Thank you that there is no belly that you have not filled. Mm. I pray whatever desire that matches your will will connect. I thank you that there is no heart that is unloved. Thank you for an early Valentine's that came 2,021 years ago. Thank you, dear Lord, that there is no destiny that will not be met. Don't let us die until we have fulfilled what we were born to do. We give you glory. We give you praise. And Lord, if it's not too much, let us get wisdom from somebody else's failure. Mm. so that we'll have a clear path to our own success. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And Thank bless you. you. Bless Amen. You Thank, Thank you so you much for being a part. Honored Amen. to be a part. Thank Stay you. back a little bit. Stay on.